This digital age that we're living in is a very exciting one, and it will flip the prevention and detection paradigm on its head. And we're in the early days of doing so. But your listeners should be encouraged and lean in and not lean out and fight it. Uh, it's going to happen, and we should take advantage of it. Welcome to Food Safety Unwrapped, presented by Sani Professional a podcast for food safety professionals, food service operators, crew members, or anyone involved in the preparation, service, and delivery of food to the public. Join us as host Dr. Hal King, managing partner of Active Food Safety and leading industry expert in public health and food safety management, unwraps important issues, innovative ideas, and effective solutions from subject matter experts and thought leaders. Food Safety Unwrapped, presented by Sani Professional, is brought to you by Sani Professional, the food safety division of PDI, and the number one brand in food service wipes. Sani Professional simplifies the way you clean, sanitize, and disinfect at the table, behind the counter, and on the go. For more information, visit saniprofessional.com. Welcome back to part two of Food Safety Unwrapped, the future food business leader's toolbox and how food safety leadership will evolve. Featuring special guest, Frank Giannis. One thing I want to do next is kind of start to unpack and unwrap this, you know, concept. Um, you know, we have your opp- the opportunity to talk to you, who's actually probably the only person in the United States that has had this type of experience, where you've been in the business world, leading food safety business at Disney and Walmart, and then you went to the FDA. Um, and again, like you said, all of this was a purpose of helping improve the public health, not just for the business, but, but for the customer. What are your thoughts on the food safety business leadership, you know, in the business and how important it is to the FDA from your perspective? Well, yeah, it's it's interesting how because when you sit as deputy commissioner at FDA, you realize that uh, you're trying to influence the behaviors of you know, 80% of the regulated food system. I mean, FDA regulates a pretty big portion of food and it's really large and diverse and you can never have enough inspectors to be at all plants. And so it's the same It's the same underlying issue whether you work in the private sector or public sector. Uh, you're trying to influence human behavior. You're trying to, what you want is companies to do the right thing, even when FDA is not there. And so I would say a couple of things, you know, my, my view of, leadership within the industry on food safety was only strengthened because of my time at FDA, which is we all understand industry has the primary responsibility to produce safe food. Clearly, government, FDA has an important responsibility too, but the primary responsibility is on industry. And the only way you're going to really enhance or further strengthen food safety is through that leadership change. Industry has to willingly do research, know a lot about what are the hazards and risks, how can they control it. You think about leafy greens in in general, the industry really has to lead those improvements. Or you think about powdered infant formula, the industry has to say, well, you know, we've been manufacturing infant formula this way for 60 years, but we've learned a lot more about environmental contamination and, you know, uh, Pronobacter and maybe our current uh, surveillance uh, processes aren't sufficient. So, uh, what I learned was that it, the industry has more work to do. There's more, there's more the government can do. There's more the industry can do. But industry should never be satisfied, and they should always be working towards uh, zero. We know that there's no such thing as zero risk, 
but I fundamentally believe, Hal, and I've said this publicly, I've said this on, on nightly news being interviewed uh, by Lester Holt. I said, one foodborne illness is one too many. Uh, that's my, my philosophical view. But listen, think about the airline industry. Do you want do you want the airline industry to just wait until they're told by regulators to design safer cockpits, to use the latest technology to design safer planes? Or do you want Boeing to be leading that change because they care about their customers? Uh, so industry has to lead. And for those that are in the private sector listening, if you're waiting on regulators to tell you what to do, you probably have a wrong posture. You have to be leading the change. Um, now, I'm all for regulator, regulators working with the industry to strengthen controls and prevention, but lead, it's all about food leadership, and it starts with the industry. Yeah, that's amazing. So I'm, I'm going to hit you with this question. You know, you've been at the FDA. What did you learn there that you wish you knew when you were at Walmart? Yeah, no, I've asked that myself that same question. I learned so much. Listen, I would tell the, your, your your listeners that are kind of tuning in is that you might think you know the FDA. I thought I knew FDA how because I worked with them for 30 years. But it's only when you get there and really pull back the curtain that you say, oh, this is how this place works. And, oh, this is the tremendous responsibility they have. This is such a large food system. How do they do it? Uh, but if I had to pick one, how it would be. At FDA, we led some work during my tenure under the new era of smarter food safety. It was the very first time the agency had used AI or machine learning uh, to strengthen their predictive capabilities for finding biotech products. And we did our first proof of uh, concept uh, with seafood products. 94% of all seafood consumed in the United States comes from abroad. The FDA has a lot of data, big data on seafood imports year after year, years worth of data through a system that they call PREDICT. And how I just saw that volume, that mountain, you know, of information and data, not information necessarily data. And I said, well, what if we leverage predictive capabilities like machine learning that is now, you know, mainstream today, but we did this three years ago. And lo and behold, by the time we were done with our second pilot, and now it's actually in operation at the agency, we strengthen our predictive capabilities by 300% by 300% of finding violative seafood shipments. And so I've told, you know, my colleagues at Walmart, because they've asked me that same question, if you were at FDA is there, or at Walmart, is there one thing you would do differently? I said, man, I wish I would have leaned into machine learning and AI a little bit earlier, because whenever you're dealing with large volumes of data, the ability to turn that into powerful predictive information uh, is unmatched. Uh, the human mind can't do it. The old software tools can't do it, but these new tools that are emerging, such as machine learning and AI. So that was the biggest takeaway. The second one, I know you just asked for the top one, is the importance of public-private collaboration. Uh, having worked now at FDA, uh, I was always a, a supporter, as you know, of public-private collaboration. I always had good relationship with CDC and FDA and always pushed the companies that I work for to share data. But really, collaboration and data sharing is really critical to advancing the safety of our nation's food supply. Yeah, that's so important for folks to hear. Um, this, I think it's critical to have that public-private collaboration. Um, and there's so many good groups out there that kind of facilitate or foster that, from NEHA to AFTO to even IFAP to others. Um, and it is important for them to be working together and having that collaboration. A lot of your significant accomplishments at FDA, in my mind and my opinion, were that you kind of 
took what was there, the FISMA rules and requirements, and then moved them to the road, uh, in a roadmap for the future. One area that I was most intrigued with is in that roadmap um, that you created at FDA was the future of food safety culture and FDA. Um, you know, we all know it's important. We all know there's elements out there. We're learning more and more, including what you've talked about today in the podcast. Um, but I'd love to know what your thinking is, kind of where you saw FDA's role in whether it's going to regulate, enforce, or help companies build food safety cultures um, as it relates to what that will do to help influence the industry to do those right things. Well, thanks, Hal. First of all, I appreciate you acknowledging uh, the progress we made on FISMA. You know, I, I jokingly tell people that uh, I worked at FDA for four and a half years. For most of that time, I did work that was not part of my job description. I came in during the the government shut down, the longest shutdown in U.S. history, and then we had a global pandemic on top of that. But despite that, you know, the amazing staff at FDA, amazing people there were able to advance FISMA, and we got two of the most complicated FISMA rulemaking uh, processes underway. We finalized the food traceability rule, and we proposed a new ag water standard, and I think those are going to be game changers. But then we launched uh, a vision for the next decade under the auspices of the new era of smarter food safety. And there were four core principles. And I can't take credit for them, How I think my role was to give uh, the amazing staff at the agency, as well as some public meetings that we did, permission to envision a better future. And they decided that there were four core elements that we needed to work on for the future. One is tech-enabled traceability. It's really about a new era of transparency and how transparency will be so uh, useful for the food system and, and, and food prevention, foodborne prevention. The second one was what we called smarter tools and approaches for prevention, and we've already talked a little bit about them. Third was new business models because the food system is changing. But yeah, it, lo and behold, uh, we emphasize that food safety culture is one of four areas to focus on because everything rises and falls on food safety culture. Now, people would say, Frank, can the FDA really be involved in food safety culture? Can they regulate food safety culture? And the answer, I believe, is no. The FDA regulatory agencies can't regulate food safety culture. They have an interest in businesses having stronger food safety cultures. As we've all seen how the EU now uh, has a requirement in their legislation that businesses establish food safety cultures. But uh, the work that we did, Hal, was a, a, a couple of points that we emphasized. One is we wanted our investigators to know what a food safety culture is and is not. We wanted them to understand principles of human behavior and organizational culture that we talked about here today. And guess what? We trained all of our investigators on these principles. Uh, that's a big deal that often the private sector doesn't know. We trained all FDA investigators on this. Our goal is to then have them leverage some of these principles in getting companies to say yes, as opposed to just the stick, right? As opposed to just using the stick that we're going to issue a warning letter when we do the inspections is how can regulators incentivize or maybe encourage stronger food safety cultures to drive up compliance rates in the establishments that we regulate. And then the long-term goal, Hal, that I wish I could have been around to figure out is, to your point, and you said you heard DOJ say this, uh, I have heard it as well, which is, can we recognize it? Can we advance food safety culture enough as a science that we can recognize it or semi-quantitatively measure it so we can use it in our risk prioritization? If you have an establishment with a strong food safety culture, as well as a good food safety management system, good self-management records, 
that facility would probably be of lower risk than a facility that doesn't have a food safety culture or a strong food safety management system. So my hope is that long-term, we could recognize those organizations that have strong food safety cultures as one of a few variables that we measure to do risk prioritization. Yeah, I love that because, I, you know, being on when I was working at Chick-fil-A, you know, obviously following all the FISM rules that were going to come into play during the time. And they were really, really good because holding a food manufacturing um, group accountable for the food safety plan with identifying the hazards and their controls and how they're going to monitor, you know, a critical part was, you know, when you're not there, are they going to continue to do those things? And, and, make right. sure, um, and I, I love the idea of this where your training and FDA folks can actually help recognize food safety culture because, you know, a plant might have a problem and they all do. So do food service and retail, you know, have issues um, some that pop up because of things you can't control. Um, but to know that they've got a group there that's going to do root calls and try to continually fix it when we should know the best in class businesses are always doing um, and find a way to make sure it doesn't happen again are really part of that food safety culture and training FDA regulators and others to have, know how to recognize it can can actually build into that risk model in the future. I think FDA, like you, they had in FISMA, which yeah. are, how often do we need to inspect a plant? Well, you think about the identification of a very good, strong food safety culture, and they had a hiccup here and this one issue, we really need to put our resources over here where there's not one, and, they, and they're continually going to have issues, whereas the other company with the culture probably not going to have a lot of problems. Does anything come out of how you trained the FDA folks to recognize um, food safety culture that maybe we could use as a template to kind of say, for example, let's say I'm running a food business and I'm, I've got 200 suppliers um, and I'm, I'm making ice cream or I'm making hamburgers, whatever. What could I use to kind of inform me to measure my suppliers for their food safety culture? And I ask this question because um, Active Food Safety, my business um, was funded through AFTO to do some research in the industry. Mick Nicholas published this in Food Safety Magazine recently. But um, this just came out at, at that you know, having companies actually measure their suppliers' food safety culture has a big impact on the food supply that they're bringing in, those approved sources of food, you know, the FDA describes. Um, do you have any thoughts on that about what you what could have would have been used to FDA that, you know, we probably wouldn't, I know GFSI does measure a food safety culture of a business. Is that enough for, yeah. for well, just a, a culture survey isn't enough. It's a it's a good thing to do, though. Um, so I know that there's proliferation now of food safety culture surveys in the marketplace. Um, I would just tell the audience to, you know, evaluate them. Uh, but I do think you should be trying to measure your food safety culture, the culture. And so, you know, in my in my first book, Food Safety Culture, I give an example of some types of questions that would be useful. And the one question that I love the most, and I actually executed this at Walmart, was a question that you ask your employees anonymously, give them permission to answer it truthfully uh, without, uh, you know, fear of being uh, harmed. And the question was, our food safety practices do not change when the health inspector arrives. And you let them rate that on a one to five Likert scale, strongly disagree to strongly agree. And you need to have the courage to accept that answer. But if they say, no, that's not the case. When the health inspector arrives, we change. You know, uh, It's not business as usual. Then you probably don't have as strong of culture as, as you think you do. And so these food safety culture assessments, if they're conducted well, if they're validated 
uh, could be useful, but you need to use a host of metrics. You ought to be measuring human behavior. You ought to be measuring the conditions. And so I think it's one. We did this at, uh, at Walmart when I was there. And the story I like to tell, Hal, is I had a fellow that worked for me uh, that had been there for years where we audited every single Walmart store and club once a month. That's a lot of audits with 6,000 units across the country. And he told me, Frank, I learned more about Walmart's food safety efforts in one culture survey than I did years of auditing every store and club on a monthly basis. And so it's one of several metrics you can use. Um, but there's other ways to gauge it as well. I can tell you what it's not. It's not the commitment statement that the CEO signs. And when the GFSI auditor shows up, you say, listen, we've got a culture. Look at our CEO signed this commitment statement. Uh, no, you walk the facility and you know by the artifacts that you see in this establishment. For example, we're talking about values and beliefs. Do you see that there's artifacts that say, hey, food safety is part of the organization's values and belief? Does leadership pay attention to you when you're doing that audit or are they delegating it to the QA manager? Uh, do you see the behaviors? Is it the social norm? Everybody's uh, wearing the appropriate equipment, um, conducting the appropriate behaviors. Uh, are they measuring it? Are they reinforcing the behaviors when they're the right behaviors, the negative behaviors? Um, you and I have probably been enough facilities that you can walk in facility and I can pretty much tell you whether I think there's a strong food safety culture there or not. And so we tried to arm our inspectors with those types of insights so they can gauge it. But FDA at the time I was there was fully supportive of trying to really advance this concept of food safety culture metrics so that they could probably be leveraged a little bit more easily in this risk prioritization effort uh, that the agency has on their way. Right now, as you know, they have to inspect facilities once every three years if they're high risk and once every five years if they're non-high risk, uh, we'll have to get congressional approval. But I think the agency has to move to a place where we can have a little bit more dynamic risk prioritization and inspect facilities when they need to be inspected. Yeah, that's it's really, really encouraging. And, you know, we work with a lot of large clients um, that have large number of restaurants all over the world. And it's really encouraging when I hear them say, you know, one of our strategies and goals is to make sure, assess and ensure food safety culture, but not just in our corporate environment, but every when we see it at restaurant operations or retail operations. So it's it's happening. You know, people still struggle with, do I assess it? How do I assess it? How do I identify it? And I know you've done a ton of that work. And it's, it's really encouraging that it's starting to happen at FDA too, to identify it, because it is going to be critical to sustaining um, food safety behaviors, but also food safety outcomes to reduce foodborne illnesses. And like you said before, it's really discouraging to me that after all the work we've all been doing, even since um, Jack, the first Jack in the Box outbreak, um, we still see the same number of foodborne illnesses and deaths um, you know, in the industry, even in the restaurant industry is still the same numbers. Um, and so this is, to me, the number one thing that has to happen is we've got to have that public-private partnership collaboration you talk about but also build these food safety culture processes within these businesses to sustain them. You know, one thing I really do want to understand more um, and kind of talk about next as it relates to what the food safety business leader is going to need to know and do. And obviously the future is going to come from this knowledge. Um, we, you know, you mentioned before they definitely have the technical, right? And other several folks that have been on the podcast who are business leaders currently in food service businesses and um, enterprises have said, hey, number one, we got to be correct 
you know, on the science and the risk and understand, have the credibility that we know what we're talking about or get it, you know, because the company has to have that trust and our integrity as it relates to that. But the other second thing I hear the most is companies have programs set in place. That was the maximum number of people we could serve, right? It's that line of 30 people. So we could only produce food that would accommodate that line. But now people can get on an app and do a thousand orders in an hour at that same spot. Yeah. So volumes are pushing on restaurants. We've got mail order food now. Companies selling mail order where a restaurant will package food, cool it down and ship it somewhere else in another state. And, you know, obviously a lot of these things aren't regulated yet or even being monitored to see if they're being done safe. We do have USDA rules for shipping meat and things like that. But, you know, I think the key to this is going to be as an advancement of some of these um, regulations and things that might need to help better improve these type of digital transformation transformation of the food delivery and the food service business is going to be these questions. You know, you know, do they did they design this model right? We want to help them do that. We want to make sure, hey, go ahead and design this process of making an order, packaging it, cooling it down properly, and shipping it, or how you actually do pickups. That whole world is just growing, and there's such a huge amount of pressure on the, these businesses, including ghost kitchens. Um, how do, based on your knowledge and, you know, based on the private and then public sectors that you've worked in, you know, what are your thoughts on that? How, how are we going to help these businesses and communicate with these businesses to do these things and do them right in advance of having outbreaks and illnesses and then the regulations? Yeah. Yeah, no, um, this realm of the food system is changing pretty rapidly, and we don't have sufficient standards in place. Uh, I think, you know, when I was at FDA, we did an e-commerce summit, so we started to hear what was actually happening out there, and it's happening very different ways. But uh, I think we need standards, number one. We need standards on how these things uh, should be done, and they should be performance-based standards, and we'll let the industry innovate. I rally around this concept of TTTC, how, which is time, temperature, control. Those are the first two T's. The third T is it has to be tamper resistant. And C, we have to prevent cross-contamination. And we have to begin by designing these three, these four concepts, TTTC, into how we do things. But we do need minimum standards, and I'm hopeful that the FDA will publish a minimum standards on how to do this. Uh, and if the FDA doesn't, because people are critical and saying, why hasn't the FDA? This is proliferating so much. Industry should rally and figure out how do we create our own code of conduct for people that want to get into the delivery pickup game. Um, but we do need those code of standards. And then we should try to design it and automate control of these variables wherever we can. Yeah, huge business opportunity for those who might support that industry from the the technology for app, apps and ordering all the way to um, receiving the food and customers. It definitely will have a big impact on public health. But I love that statement. The industry should rally because, again, it's in their it's in their interest to build better business models that are already safe and likely in compliance or whatever might be regulated. And, you know, how we use this phrase a lot, we all win or lose together. Uh, all we need is one of these new service models to have a problem, and it's going to cast a negative light on the entire industry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being on Food Safety Unwrapped. Um, this just has been incredible. I've taken so many notes. I hope the listeners are taking notes. There's so many things I still, still want to unwrap, and I think I will start to research you know, just because I think a lot of these things are great ideas and tools and stuff, and then we can use them to help the industry and in our relationship with the FDA and USDA and those folks. 
it's been such a delight to have you. You're such a good person. You've got a great heart. You do everything with high integrity. And we've talked about that many times. A business leader, a few safety business leader especially, um, has integrity, not just knowledge, and does what's right for the public. And again, I have six grandchildren that eat at many of these restaurants and other food service establishments, and we want them all to be safe, like we want yours, your family to be safe. But I'm going to give you the last word. Is there anything you want to say as we end up the podcast that you'd like the listeners to know? Yeah, I'll just real be I'll be real brief, Hal. But thanks for the invitation. I've enjoyed the conversation. You and I get to hang out every once in a while, and you know we can talk for hours. But uh, you've been very kind. You are a public health hero in my book. But um, yeah, the take home message to the audience is uh, I learned this all too well because I spent time now in the public and private sector. It doesn't matter if you're in industry. Uh, you have to do your part. I told you industry has the primary responsibility, so you should be working to advance food safety, uh, both with good management and leadership and change. If you're listening today and you're in the public sector, we have a very important responsibility as regulators. And so you need to do your part as well. But Hal, I've learned this all too well after 35 years uh, on both sides of that fence. We're best when we work together. And uh, I like to quote with a uh, statement by Hal and Keller that says, alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. And so I hope all of the listeners are encouraged to collaborate a little bit more one with another and within the public and private sector. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to Food Safety Unwrapped, presented by Sani Professional. And join us next time to hear more insights from leading food safety experts on topics that are important to you. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.